This is a story about the affordable housing crisis in a remote part of the country. There are a lot of people finding it very difficult to find a home. I could reel off five people I know just off the top of my head who are looking for a home right now. One of them is a mother with three children. In a period of um, a year, I moved eight times. I'd say 18 years we were in the rental game with four children and we would have moved 18 times. For our staff, tenting has been an option for quite a few. It's just not healthy. It's about one man with big ambitions. Well, I'm Canadian originally. I came here just under 40 years ago, and I've worked uh, as a civil engineer, worked here and worked overseas for probably 25 years. I retired just under two months ago because I got a brain injury and a bicycle crash. My wife complained, what does a retired World Bank with a brain injury do but tries to solve the housing crisis? Chris Bennett says he's got the formula, he's got the support, the labour and the land, and he can build houses for $150,000. $20 million, we could build 100 houses in Golden Bay. But what about the money? Well, he's tried and tried and tried again. There's no financing available for affordable housing for anyone in New Zealand. I'm Sharon Brett-Kelly and today on The Detail I'm in Golden Bay at the top of the South Island to hear Chris Bennett's tale about trying to fix the housing crisis. What are you doing at the moment, Chris? So I'm just bringing some supplies into the container. This is a container that's got all the materials and things for building the, your number one house. Yes, um, it's quite convenient. Number one house, why is it called that? Uh, because hopefully it's the first of over 100 that we're going to do. And we are looking at the foundations of a small house here in... Is this on the outskirts of Collingwood? Yeah, it's, it's, it's actually called Rockville, which is about seven kilometres south of Collingwood. And this is a plot of land on what looks like a farm. No, it's actually just a subdivided section off of an old farm. And what happened is that this, the, the landowner, um, Sebastian, had a large area of unused front garden, where it used to be a house here, actually, as you can see from the foundation. And he offered it to us to build a house where his parents could live because his parents are qualified for support through our project. But the reason I'm here, Chris, is because you sent me an email after I had done a podcast about construction costs, the, co- the high price of building a house. And you sent me an email and said, well, I'm, I'm doing it for $150,000. And I just thought, I find that really hard to believe. So <laughs> here I am in Golden Bay with you, and your a- ambition is to, st- to build 100 affordable houses at around about $150,000 each, and you're convinced that you can do it. Well, yes, so this is our first house, and we're on target to bring it in at about $165,000, which is, you know, 10% over our target price, and that will be the worst-case scenario. So it is possible to build an affordable house. The only question is how you go about doing it. So how does the former World Bank engineer who's travelled the world, worked in a lot of very exotic places... How did you end up building small houses? Because of a question that was asked for me in a presentation to retired people in in town. Um, I was discussing my World Bank work, and someone put his hand up and said, Chris, if you could do a project building 400-odd houses in Tong after a cycle in two years, can't you do something in Golden Bay for a housing crisis? And I'm a Christian. I thought, okay, well, um, let me work on this. And I really felt impressed by God I should do this. So I spent six weeks from October till early December working out, could I do it? This is last year? Yeah, last year. 
And so on December the 2nd or so, I said, let's start this project. And we started construction within six months of that, of our first house. But how do you do it? I mean, we constantly hear that the cost of materials in New Zealand is ridiculously high. The cost of labour is high. And in a place like this that's pretty remote, you would have thought it would be even more expensive. You first of all start by looking at the problem. And the problem we have in Golden Bay is that we have over 100 families in need of affordable housing. You then ask the question, what can they afford to pay? And from my research, they could basically afford to pay two to $300 a week to rent or 300 to $400 a week for rent to own. So you then have this anchor there as to what people can actually afford to pay. So rather than saying, we're going to build a $400,000 house and find a way of making it work financially, you say, well, okay, if they're going to pay that much, how expensive should the house be? And using a 4% cost of capital, it's a $103,000 house. That way you can actually pay two fifty dollars a week rent as a number, and the cost of building the house is recovered after, say, 13, 14 years. So this house you're looking at right now is a 60-square-meter two-bedroom house. It's not a tiny home. It's a small house. Mm. It's designed by an architect in Auckland called Mark Goodison, and he had actually, independently of myself, come up with the same concept. He said an affordable house has to be 60-square-meter two-bedroom. And so then you, you say, what's the most efficient way of, of building uh, this house? And it's using uh, a number of technologies and also trying to minimize the labor inputs. It's called a, a SIPS panel house, which is essentially manufactured in a, a factory in Christchurch where they send up a series of wall panels. And you literally assemble them around the outside of this uh, the platform for the house, and that's your thermal envelope. So it'll take about two days to get the thermal envelope for the house completely erected. So is that like it's semi-prefabricated? Yeah, semi-prefabricated. And then inside, you were using various products which minimize labor inputs. For example, there's no jib board in the house. Why? Because if you replace the jib board with another panel, with another product, you don't have the jib sanding, the jib stoppers, one less tradesperson to come in to do the work. And what's, so what's very helpful, though, I'll mention this, is that the other aspect to it is a lot of these companies want to be part of the solution to the affordable housing crisis. And so, for example, um, Panasonic, you know, we all have to have warm, dry houses. So they've come in and say, we love what you're doing. We're going to provide you with a heat pump, an uh, induction cooktop, all the appliances at an extremely discounted price. Um, we've had a company, Franklin's, come in offering us European tapware at the cost they have to import it. With the local concrete pumper coming in saying, no, I'll give you a discount because I love what you're doing. And so because people realize we're helping a community, we're not trying to make a profit, they want to get involved. And they, yeah. they recognize we have a national crisis, and unless we all step up to it, um, nothing will be done. What about things like labour? I mean, we hear about the skill shortage, and we're going through a bit of a boom at the moment. It, do you, have you got the people who can build the houses? Yes, and what you're looking at here right now mm. is about um, eight days of labour to, to get the house ready to put the walls up. Okay. And so we estimate the first, first build will take us between five and six weeks to do, but we should get down to three to four weeks per build, ideally, if we can get everything working well as we move on with building the houses. So within a month, number one house will be ready for the husband and wife who urgently need a home because she has cancer. This is an accessible house. It's a little bit different to our standard one because it's a very large deck area because the person is losing her mobility. And so what we have, we're looking at this, there's two bedrooms which are on the other side of the house. And then there's going to be a wet bathroom in this corner. And then there's a galley kitchen which runs along here. 
and then a large living room area at that end of the house. And then they'll walk out on all the houses which we build will have a deck, so you walk out onto the deck, and then there'll be a ramp which will go on the side of the houses. Yes. So we're very laser-focused on how do we build a $150,000 house. And so, for example, the ramps that we're using is something called fiber-reinforced plastic, which we buy from the factory, and they've given us a great discount, by the way. They come 3.2 meters long, 1,200 wide, so we plunk them in place, and there's, there's our ramps. So we don't need to spend a day cutting and putting timber down, for example. Mm. And it's also low maintenance. And so a lot of the things have been optimized to minimize the cost of supplies, but also the efficiency of building them. We've been discussing this for quite a bit over the last day since I met you. And what, what really grabs me is the huge, the community response. I mean, you, you have got people offering not only money, but time and materials for free. But you don't really want to do that model, do you? Well, no, because, I mean, people want to get involved because it's, they want to support the community. For example, at this site, a local farmer who has, a, who's a, has digger skills says, no, hire the digger for me and I'll come in and I'll, I'll dig the uh, trench to the house to lay the, uh, to lay the electrical cables. You know, it'll be all done properly. And people want to help us out. But the point is, you can do that for one house, but we need to build 100. And so rather, what, what I tell the businesses is, is, thanks for your support, but you, know, you can give us a discount, but we need to treat you professionally. So we, because businesses need to benefit. We were offered houses from China made in factories that would cost less than this house. But by building this house here, we're employing local tradespeople. Mm. We're buying the materials from ITM and the, and, the, and the local electrical suppliers. And that means we're creating jobs in Golden Bay because these are the businesses that the high school goes to when they need money for, 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 you know, for sponsoring a dance. And so if you don't support the community, your community will die. People really believe in solving this crisis. They really want it to happen and they want to get behind it. I'd say yes, except for the finance industry. <laughs> And there we go again, money, the missing ingredient. But let's look at why there's a housing crisis in Golden Bay. Because it's paradise here. National parks, endless empty beaches, cute little towns, total population 5,000. We have an issue that in Golden Bay, um, the available housing stock is a limited supply and there's huge demand. And the reason for the huge demand is it's a great place to live. And you think about the government put in this great policy a few years ago about foreigners buying housing in New Zealand. Well, we have exactly the same problem in Golden Bay, but the foreigners are from over the Takaka Hill, from Christchurch and, <laughs> and from Auckland and other places. Right. Chris Bennett got different people in the community to talk to him in a video he put together to promote his trust, an employer, tenants and a real estate agent all telling their housing horror stories. It is harder and harder to find um, places to stay, especially if it is longer term. No, it wasn't a piece of cake at all. It was a selection process with rigorous interviews and competition. Just last week, I got an email from someone who was saying that of the six people working at their business, four are living in cars or vans because there's just no rental accommodation available. Last year, we had nine employees, okay, and to house those is... is is next to impossible. You know, we, can, we might be able to get housing for one or two. Um, and unless we actively pursue that for the staff, they, they just don't even bother looking at Golden Bay as an option because it's just too hard for them. And the reason is twofold. Firstly, a lot of the housing stock in the Bay is old and um, not in that good condition. And the cost of making them fully compliant is like $60,000, $70,000. It just makes it so 
unaffordable for a landlord to do that to an old house and a lot of the stock in uh, the housing stock in Golden Bay is really old. Where are people going to live? If they can't live in the houses that exist, and that, that is happening, people have got empty houses now, not just holiday homes. People have got empty houses on farms. But the problem we now face, though, is that the people who are regular working people, the baristas, the, the truck drivers, the, the shop people, are, are losing places to live. And uh, Merv Solly, for example, runs a very large trucking business, and he told me he can't get workers into Golden Bay because there's nowhere for them to live. That takes us back to Bennett's formula for fixing it. So essentially the first house is what we call rent-to-own, or the government has a fancy term, progressive home ownership, which oh, yeah. confuses people, but most people understand rent-to-own. And so the way the project is designed to work is that we're going to have the actual cost of building this house down to the nearest dollar, and then the, the trust, which is running the project, will give them a mortgage, and, at, and they'll pay, say, $300 a week for 14 years, then they own the house. Tell me about your trust. So we've established a trust, which is in the process of trying to become a charitable trust, but because it's a housing trust, it's very complicated to get charitable status. Um, just talk to Queenstown, and they'll tell you about their experiences. And so at this point, though, we have a trust, and the trust is um, owning all the houses and providing the finance to build them. And so effectively, we have independent contractors as our builders. We don't, we don't employ anyone, and we buy the materials, we organize the supplies, they deliver them here, and we, we're managing and the project. Mm. And we're all local people who just have a, a burden to try and help our community with affordable housing. Where is the money coming from? Ah, well, now, I'm financing the first two houses myself from my retirement funds. I retired six weeks ago from the World Bank. And we've had offers from other people in the community of another half million dollars to build the next houses. Uh, one person came to us and said, you know, I love what you're doing. I really would love to finance a pensioner flat at $103,000. And so we have support from the community. The, the broader issue, though, is that there's no financing available for affordable housing from anyone in New Zealand. Because what you've been telling me is that everything has fallen into place. If, if I can go back. Yeah. It, so when we started the project, people said it wouldn't happen. They said no one will offer you land to build houses. And one of the unique aspects of the project is we're not buying land right now. What we're saying to people, like with this place, is can you host a house for someone? Um, when you and I were at the restaurant last night, the musician there was looking for a home, and we said to her, have you found a friend or found out to, to, to host a home for you? Because in this situation here, the son had land, and they said, I, I can't afford to house my parents, but I'll give my land for free. Will you come and build a house here for us? And we said, love to. The house number two is being built over on Hamama, and it's a Christian couple, and they have a burden for the community. They have a large amount of land. They said, come build a house here, and we're not going to charge you. Just build the house. Um, Tasman City Council have given us a, a parking lot, which isn't being used any longer, and we're paying $1 a year for 35 years to put two pensioner flats there. So today we have about 30 to 35 offers of land all around Golden Bay where we can put houses. We have 100-plus people on, a wait, on the wait lists, and we have what looks to be $150,000 houses. So they have the land, they have the house plans already consented by Tasman District Council. Bennett's even had offers of money, but not the right kind of money. The government regulations are that we can't take more than $2 million a year in small personal offers from, I think, 20 people. But elsewhere, there is no funding for affordable housing. So where did you go to first? Well, actually, I'll, go, I'll ask the second part of it first. Yeah. The response has been universal from everyone I've approached. We love what you're doing. It's a great project. But we can't, we can't support it financially. 
So I, I first approached Kanga Or to see about the government and what programs they had in terms of funding projects like ours. They, not, they don't have anything. And I say capital, I don't mean grants, because projects like ours, we, we could pay someone 4% interest right now. And as you know, if you went to ASB in Auckland, you get a mortgage for 1.8%. Mm. But no one is willing to even lose money uh, at that sort of at a... 4%. 4%. No. So government was out. So we then went to the Tier 1 banks, and they said, great project, not interested. Went to some Tier 2 and Tier 3 lenders. Generally, great project, not interested. One lender did offer to look at providing us um, funding, but that was to basically put 20 people from the housing wait list on one section in town. It create, if you like, a ghetto of poor people because the government has subsidies, which we don't really need. But ethically, why would you want to create a ghetto of poor people just to access financing? We then looked at private finance, and we were offered potentially funding from private finance, but it was at 9% interest. And the reason is that private wealth funds, they return typically 6% to their investors, and they then have a 3% cost of running the business, and so that's why you get 9%. Um, we spoke to some angel investors, and they also wanted about 9% as well. You're smiling right now at the, at the story. Yeah. <laughs> angel investors that want 9%, okay. Well, yeah, and, and I think, though, in, in their defense, the issue is that uh, the idea of ethical investing is still quite new in New Zealand. People want to invest ethically, but they haven't got their head around the fact that ethically might mean you won't get 6%, you'll get 3%. Hence, in saying 4% cost of capital, that means that we can return someone twice what they're getting right now from a five-year term deposit. But yet no, no institution is able to help us, with the exception of um, John Bolton from Squirrel. Because you did a podcast uh, recently on his efforts with the first home buyers, and I got in touch with him, not seeking money, by the way, just because I was really impressed with what they were doing. And he said that um, he could look at doing a, doing a product for us. It's not confirmed yet, but at 4.5%. Your goal is to build 100 houses in three years. Where are you at at this stage? So John Bolton is working on one. Well, he's, he's looking at options for us, Looking yes. at options. Um, there's, there is a, an ethical angel investor, I'll call them, who is interested in what we're doing and has potentially offered us some support, and he wants to come and see the first houses built. And that's one of the reasons why I'm personally paying for the first two houses, because... Um, people say it can't be done. Well, I'm pretty confident we can do it, and I wouldn't be spending my own money doing it. And I think once we get the first two houses done, hopefully some of these other organizations will want to be part of the solution because in the end, even John Bolton couldn't do what we need in New Zealand. There's, there's, you know, there's 11,000 families plus on, who, need a, who need housing. And until the financial institutions come together and say, let's be part of the solution or the government decides to provide a, a guarantee like they did for businesses during COVID to, uh, to underwrite the risk, um, nothing's going to happen for, 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 for solving this crisis. Bennett's story is not unique. He says other community housing projects face the same financial hurdles. And he's written an affordable housing model for dummies to share with other providers. There's a group in Machueca who are just waiting to, to build our houses, but like ourselves, they can't access capital from anywhere to do it. We've been approached by Invercargill, by Napier. So angel investors are not interested because the returns are less than half of what they would want. What about other ethical investors, though? As you say, there are a lot of wealthy people out there. Why is there no fund? It's just oh, well, well, there's one fund, and so there's a group called Community Finance, and they've started something called the Aotearoa Pledge. They're trying to raise $100 million for affordable housing. But you have to be what's called a wholesale investor to invest with those. And so most of their funds are coming from corporate investors. But if you take a step back, 
$100 million, if you're not in Golden Bay, you're building a million-dollar house in Auckland. That's mm. 100 houses. Mm. If you look at the wait list right now, the government's building, I think, 9,500 houses, according to their current plan, and we've got 23,000 people on the wait list. So, you know, you, you basically need to build another 13,000 houses somehow. If you look at the difference between the government's doing, which is, and they're doing really well. I, I, I'm, not, I'm not trying to complain about them at all. I, I think they're doing an amazing job. That there's still this huge unmet demand of 13,000 the government can't meet. The issue is, I think that they're standing in a house with houses on fire. And if your backyard's also on fire, you kind of deal with the fire right in front of you. So we've got 100-plus families in Golden Bay who are... In, who, are, who need affordable housing. That's probably every week in Auckland they have that number coming up, right? And so I can understand how the attention has been focusing and where it's being focused right now, but there comes a point in time, though, when the areas where the government is doing nothing has no plans to do it. If you, look at, if you talk to Kanga Or, they plan to do nothing in Golden Bay. There's nothing in a number of places around the country. Then the question is, what about those places? And... You'll find in 2019, they, they published this uh, report, and they identified four options to increase housing supply. And one of them was provide grants or provide um, financial um, underwriting through a guarantee to organizations like ours. Nothing's been done on that report, and so there's 40% more people on the wait list, and it's getting worse but they've been so focused, I guess, on the fires in front of them mm -hmm. that that has not got across their desk. Mm. So uh, until such a time, I think that the, the banks either decide they want to be part of the solution and they change their internal processes, or the government does for affordable housing what they did for COVID-19 and businesses, provides a guarantee, we'll just continue playing catch-up. Bennett says he'll keep trying until he's run out of options. You know, we, we'll be able to build probably oh, six or seven houses this year with the funding we have available. And that's, if we stop after that, that's still six or seven families who are no longer homeless or living in cars and are no longer vulnerable. Now, we could build, if I had two teams, we could build easily 20, 25 houses a year. We, we can do this. That's all for today. I'm Sharon Brett-Kelly. The detail is brought to you by newsroom.co.nz and made possible by RNZ and NZ On Air. You can download us free to your mobile phone every weekday from any podcast platform. And if you're using Apple, leave us a rating so others can find us too. Alexia Russell produced today's episode. Jeremy Ansell engineered it. And thanks to Chris Bennett. And there'll be more stories from my trip to the South Island coming up soon. Mā te wā.